Let us pray. Lord, as your scripture is read and proclaimed this day, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that our hearts, our minds, and our very lives may be transformed by it. Thank you for your gift of Holy Scripture, we pray. Amen. Well, today is, of course, New Year's Eve. How many of you are planning on staying up to midnight? How many of you are like me and you're just going to go to bed and hope for the best that the new year comes in? That's what I do. I figure if it shows up, I'll see it on the news. If it doesn't, well, I guess I'll see it on the news too. But this is, in the life of the church, one of those Sundays that is sometimes overlooked. I, I always joke that, that I, I refer to this as Associate Pastor Sunday, because any church that has an associate pastor, this is the Sunday that you preach. In fact, uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, my very first sermon ever was this Sunday, the Sunday after Christmas. Uh, it's usually the, the lowest attended Sunday of the year, so I'm sort of surprised to see all of you here. Um, yeah, I mean, God bless you. Uh, uh, but th this is often a Sunday that we overlook. We have uh, Christmas last week, and the next week is Epiphany uh, with the coming of the Magi. And uh, we, we often overlook this Sunday. But this Sunday's uh, scripture uh, this day's scripture is, is one that I just love. It, it comes from the gospel according to Luke. And it takes place just a little bit after Jesus' birth. And uh, Joseph and Mary, they, they have a task. They need to present their new baby in the temple. Uh, the Tradition was for uh, newborn babies to, to be presented uh, at the temple, and they receive a special blessing. And also at the same time, uh, the baby's mother, uh, of course in this case Mary, uh, goes through a, a rite of purification. Uh, and this was um, uh, obligatory for uh, Jewish women after childbirth. And so there was a lot going on, and, and, and Mary and Joseph uh, uh, head off to the temple with, with baby Jesus. And, and I can just imagine as they're making their ways through the crowd with a, a, a perhaps a, a, a fussy, fussy little one, um, and they, they have with them, though, um, couple of little birds. Now, the ordinary sacrificial offering for this purpose, uh, according to Scripture, was a lamb and a pigeon. But that would have been way out of the price range for Mary and Joseph. And so the law of Moses takes mercy on the needy. And there is a special provision for parents like these, like, like Mary and Joseph. Uh, and uh, they could... Uh, instead of, of bringing a, a lamb and a pigeon, they could substitute a second bird for the lamb, which would have been much cheaper. And, you know, th that would have been great for Mary and Joseph because they had, you know, they didn't have two, two shekels to rub together, as they would say. 
and they bring uh, uh, the, the, these two little birds to, to sacrifice to the, for the Lord and, and the baby Jesus, and, and they enter into the temple. And as they are entering into the temple, they meet, well, they meet two elderly worshipers, regulars, we find out, at the temple. And they have something to say to the Holy Family. One of these two pious uh, folks is a, a man by the name of Simeon. The other is a widow by the name of Anna. And you know, as I start to get older, I, I, I'm starting to find myself more and more in the position of being the older person in stories instead of the younger. And, and, and I start seeing myself uh, in, in, in the older person in the story rather than the younger person in the story. Also, as I start to get a little bit older, I also find myself becoming a little bit negative towards those who are younger and also to the future. Did any of you ever find yourself being that way? Looking around going, what in the world are they doing? <laughs> Back in my day, we didn't do this. See, I'm part of what they call Generation X. And you've, in risk, you're kind of Generation X? Yeah, right? Uh, uh, my my uh, parents were baby boomers born right after the Second World War. Uh, Children are, I guess, what is that, Generation Z now? Um, and I found that, you know, back in my day, things were better than they are today. Amen? Amen. They are. For instance, what you're seeing here is a picture of me when I was about five or six years old riding an elephant in the parking lot of a grocery store in Grove City, Ohio. <laughs> now, you might be asking yourself, Pastor Rick, why was there somebody with an elephant in the parking lot of a grocery store in Grove City, Ohio? That never crossed my parents' mind. My mom just said, here, get on this elephant. Take a ride. That's my, my sister, my brother and I, and then our, our two friends, uh, Leanne and Steve, behind us. And then, uh, as, as Leanne uh, uh, said in, in the picture, she sent it to me, two, two, two rando kids in the front. She didn't know who they were. Um, but... but my mom never stopped to think, where did this elephant come from? Who's the lady with the elephant? Because, you know, elephants aren't all over Grove City, Ohio. But apparently in the late 1970s, early 1980s, this was okay. This was okay. You know, back in my time, uh, 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 we were kind of known as the latchkey generation uh, because uh, we were really the first generation where both parents tended to work. And I got to tell you, I went through a lot of house keys. So much so that my parents quit giving me a house key when I went to school. And I was told to deal with it. And I remember sitting out on the front porch waiting for my mom to get home from work because I had lost my key. And my mom said, tough, tough. Or how about this? I would have a practice after school. And I didn't have a car yet. I wasn't driving yet. So how did I get home? I had to have a quarter. And I had to put a quarter in something called a payphone. 
and then call and tell them to come pick me up. Or even better, you could call Collect, which my dad loved. <laughs> Calling him Collect from school to tell him my practice was over and I needed picked up because I had forgotten a quarter. Right? But in my time, in my generation, uh, uh, kids were, were raised with what they call today free-range parenting. Free-range parenting. I, I, I sound like a, like a chicken, right? What that meant is, is that, like, in the summer, my mom would open the back door, would kick us out. She often locked it because she didn't want us coming back in. And we were told to go play or something and come back when it got dark. We were given perimeters of where we could go and not go, and that was it. There was no parent that followed us around. We didn't have anything that tracked us. We just got kicked out. And if I tried sneaking back in, I got kicked out again. Right? That's how life was. You know, I grew up in the age of the original Star Wars, the best of the trilogy. Right? Back when Indiana Jones was so cool. Yep. We had MTV, which I wasn't supposed to watch, but I would watch when my parents were at a church meeting. Yep. During my, during my formative years, uh, different types of music developed, such as hip-hop, heavy metal, right? How many of you remember the kids wearing the heavy metal t-shirts to, to, to school and being told at church not to listen to it, right? The whole satanic panic thing, right? Um, and my generation developed grunge music. I got to tell you, in the 90s, I liked flannel. And I was moody for no reason. But I was moody. We saw the end of the USSR in the Cold War. You know, it's common for, for older folks to talk about the good old days and, and, and to look at the future and to look at the young people who will be living into that future in a negative way and to see only doom and gloom. Back in my day, things were good, but things are horrible now, and they're just going to get worse. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> right? Back in my day, we didn't have all this problem. We didn't have people walking around with a cell phone in a hand. If I wanted to play a video game, I had to go, go sit in my bedroom. I remember the first computer we got. It would cost like the price of a small car and it had that green monitor. And I remember the first time we got a computer where you could change the color of the font and I thought we were living large. <laughs> Big, stuff. Big stuff. Now, you know, your cell phone, uh, your cell phone uh, has like, like multitudes of more memory power than the computer that sent men to the moon, right? It's amazing what we have now. But you know what? Life is just getting worse. Society is horrible compared to the time it was when I was a kid. And, and, and it's all those young whippersnappers' faults. But you know what? 
Simeon and Anna didn't do that. They didn't walk up to Mary and Joseph and say, you know what, in my time, life was better. But now we got these Romans hanging out. Our society is falling apart. People are no longer as religious as they used to be. People aren't going to church like they used to do. Life is getting worse, and it's just going to continue to get worse. Bombug. But that isn't what Simeon did. See, Simeon and Anna, they didn't preach doom and gloom. They preached hope. See, Simeon was the first person to recognize Jesus as the Savior. Everyone else so far in, in the, the biblical story, including Mary and Joseph, were all told that Jesus was the Savior by an angel. Simeon is the first person who recognized it himself. The first person who's looked at Jesus, this little infant, and said, that's the Savior. He is the key to the hope that we have been desperately, desperately needing. Simeon, he said that the, the negative events of today are merely passing events and that God has a hope in the future for the people of Israel. And better yet, this baby is the key to that hope. It's the key to the glorious future plans that God has for Israel and the whole world. My friends, Simeon gives us a great example of how we should be, especially as we start to get older. And as we stand here at the beginning of a new year, I'm just reminded of the fact that I too am getting older. We need to share the gift of hope. Because, my friends, it's so easy to get negative and, and, and to tell others that, that the world is just a horrible place, when in reality, there are problems. There's lots of problems. Don't get me wrong. But God has a plan for us. Through Jesus, the world is getting to be a better place. And we can even prove that if we just took the time to look around and to see what's going on. Get this. The world is a better place than it used to be, even when I was a kid. Humanity has more access today than they did 30 years ago to food, clean water, education, and safe sanitation. There has been a sharp increase in global literacy, as well as falling rates of child labor throughout the world. There's also a significant uh, fall in cancer deaths rates. Uh, there's an increase in life expectancy. I got to tell you, if, if someone today dies in their 60s or 70s, don't you? think, wow, they died kind of young, right? And then I think back to my, even my own grandparents who all died in their 70s, except for my grandmother who almost lived to 100 because, you know, she was just that way. 
There is a decrease in the world population living in slums. You wouldn't know that, but throughout the world, more and more people have a higher standard of living than ever before. And there is a decrease in nuclear weapons. We don't sit around today having practice drills worrying that we're going to get nuked in school, right? I know a lot of you probably remember doing those kinds of things, which I'm never quite sure what hiding under your desk with a book over your head was going to do if a <laughs> nuclear bomb fell on your head. But, you know, I guess it's better than nothing, right? And we could go on and on. Are there problems in our society? Sure. Are there problems in our church? Sure. Are there problems in our communities? You better believe it. But overall, things are getting better. And the most important thing is that there's hope. We might be going through a rough time in life, but God has a plan for us. And there is hope in the future. There's always hope. My friends, one of the greatest gifts one generation can give to another is the gift of hope. The gift of knowing that God is still active and that God has a plan for you and that life is worth living and that, yes, things aren't the same, but that's okay. My friends, we need to be bringers of hope, not merchants of bad news. We need to be people who are, are, are sharing that God is active in our world and that through Christ, great things can happen and that there's no problem in this world that cannot be solved through the love of Christ. My friends, this this Sunday, between Christmas and Epiphany, let us remember that we are here to worship a God of hope. And that the world, no matter what we may be experiencing today, is under the care of a God who loves us more than we could ever possibly imagine. My friends, the gift of hope is a gift. <coughs> a gift that'll give for a lifetime. Let us pray. Lord, help us to, to be bringers of hope. It, it's easy for us to sometimes romanticize the past, sometimes to look around at the problems we're facing momentarily and to think that there is no future. All the good times have come and gone. Lord, remind us that's simply not true, that with you there is a future, a glorious future in the kingdom, and that whatever problems we may be experiencing today are just temporary in the scheme or in the grand scheme of your creation. Thank you for what you do for us. Thank you for the uh, examples of Anna and Simeon. And we thank you, Lord, for this day. In the name of Christ, the Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.
Let's join together in our closing hymn, Another Year is Dying. <laughs>